Greetings and welcome to episode 22 of Lay Radio, the show that talks about the universe of Elite and the development of the latest game in the franchise, Elite Dangerous. I'm your host, Foster Forrester, returning from a rather uncomfortable episode of Space Crabs. The Sidewinder is full tonight, we have some special guests joining us. But before we get to them, we have Lave Station Commander and noted Lave System Historian, Alan Stroud is with us. Hi, Foz. Lave Station's Chief of Operations and the guy who loaned me the cream to get rid of the space crabs, John Stabler. You're welcome. And finally, the guy that puts the velocity in our lives, Lave Station's Chief of Entertainment, Chris Jarvis. Hello. Hello. So we mentioned we had some special guests with us tonight. I think it's probably best that I start off with the highest ranking official joining us all the way from the PRISM system, His Excellency, Senator Drew Wagar. Welcome, citizens. It's good to be with you. CEO of FBP Industries, otherwise known as Fantastic Books Publishing, we have Dan Grubb. Hello, Commanders. And last but by no means least, the host of the great elite podcast, Comms from the Frontier, one of the 15 chosen ones who are constructing the tales from the Frontier anthology, Mr. Darren Gray. Greetings, Commanders. John, we'll start off with you. What were you up to last week? I was a bit poorly. Um, I don't know if people noticed this. That's all I've had is illness lately. I was ill at elite meat, and then I've, I've had like a sore throat and a... Uh, ugh. Horrible. Uh, and that's about it, really. I've been I've been on the forums a lot. I don't know if people have noticed that. But since they released the alpha specs, I've kind of been making a nuisance of myself on the forums. So that's what I've been doing. Yeah, I have to say, your latest Movember picture, um, you did look like death warmed up. In fact, you know, you pretty much scared the sweet bejesus out of me. Um, so don't post any more pictures of that when you're ill, if you don't mind, mate. Okay, I won't. <laughs> okay, uh, Mr. Jarvis, what have you been up to, sir? Yeah, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, last week, um, second episode of Escape Velocity Season 2. Uh, made it out eventually after one or two technical issues but yeah got that out and the response to that has been really favorable really good and as well i think it's one of those episodes that i was was doubly glad that everyone enjoyed it because it didn't have the kind of elements that i know everybody really likes which is ships shooting at each other <laughs> it was a lot of it was a lot of even though it was in a space station it was ground-based plot it was people talking it was lots of story arc stuff and important information and people really liked it so um that was good no i love the i must admit obviously you know probably your number one fan for escape velocity but the the whole thing about the coriolis and the you know the four different cities or five different cities um i thought that was a great uh, a great image yeah it was one of the um it was one of the first ideas i had for the second series that i really wanted to do that and so i have this kind of wall that i when i'm developing plot for things i kind of write notes on post-its and stick them to the wall and shuffle them around uh, and that one got moved around and moved around and moved around, but I refused to take it off because I really wanted to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was uh, a great episode, mate. Have you been up to anything else other than that? Um, well, I went to uh, visit Frankland uh, at the weekend, which is um, a group of guys who still get together occasionally for LANs. I know that, that LAN parties are kind of thin on the ground these days with uh, faster broadband and everything, but it really is a, a very different experience to go into a hall and, you know, sit down with a bunch of people and play games and swear at each other in person rather than over voice comms. Um, and it was and it was doubly fun this time because um, I've actually got my... I've got a new PC, so I went and kind of put, put it through its paces and tried out a few games. I haven't been able to give it a proper test because most of the games they were playing at the LAN were the same ones they were playing, you know, six or seven years ago when I last had a PC. So, um, <laughs> thankfully, it. this PC can play those. I'd have been very disappointed if it couldn't. <laughs> I take it there'll be things what, like Day of Defeat, Counter-Strike, that sort of thing? Yeah, all those. Team Fortress 2. Um, I think the most up-to-date thing is the new version of Counter-Strike, Counter-Strike Go. But it's still essentially the same game. Great stuff. Mr. Stroud, what's your week been like? 
busy. They don't tend to not be busy. I, I, I kind of found myself actually, I found myself today and, and yesterday sort of having finished a couple of things and kind of sitting around and, and feeling quite weird because I, I, I had less to do than I normally have to do. I think the big thing was that I finally cracked the CGI for um, for Lave Revolution over the weekend. My Saturday took from 7am till midnight to create eight seconds of CGI footage, <laughs> which is... <laughs> hey, there, it, yeah. there was a good eight seconds there, mate. Let's yeah, be yeah, honest. Yeah, you know, you know, it was a good eight seconds, but, you know, I did have to learn an awful lot in, uh, in those hours. And I did, and I was I was really pleased with the result. And actually, some of the guys on the on the visual effects course were were quite you know impressed with the result, and some of you know the, the lecturing team and and some of the others. So I really did learn a lot of techniques that we can take on for the students. That's really good. No teaching this week because uh, the students are on a, an activity week. So yeah, been been marking, arranging other bits and pieces, other stuff, and obviously helping with things that other people have been doing. I mean, our three special guests, you are here for a very special reason. I'm just wondering if it's possible for you guys to tell us what you've been up to last week without what you've been up to with the, uh, with the, special, with the special feature that you're here to talk about. Let's see if, uh, Drew, what have you been up to other than the big thing that you've been up to? Um, well, I've actually been up to some other big things as well, as it happens. I'm trying to raise funds in my local uh, neck of the woods to build a planetarium. So um, I'm currently engaged talking to uh, local councillors and various other worthies and mayors and all sorts of people to try and drum up support for building a, a science space discovery centre in, in Kent. So, um, yeah, just another small project that I'm, I'm working on in my spare time. Fantastic. And how much does a, a planetarium set one back these days? Well, we're kind of estimating a budget between three and six million pounds at the moment. Crikey. Um, Darren, what have you been up to, sir? Oh, well, I've been trying to live seven lives at once at the moment. I'm buying property for the first time. That's a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> sacked a solicitor yesterday. Got a new one today. Also looking for a new job. Bit bored of the current one. Making games. Hold on a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just back up oh, yeah? for a second. Any chance that your current employer might be listening to the podcast? And have you told oh, them that know. you're sick of your current no, job? No, and no they're not going to listen to this. It's <laughs> <Just laughs> great as you guys are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else? Uh, making some games, doing some writing for another game which is going on Steam next month. And I won the forum Drapple thing this week, which is great. Or last week. I don't know when this is released, but at some point I won a forum Drapple thing. So that's <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, what's, the, uh, what's the Steam game that you're writing for? Uh, well, it was the one uh, I've talked about before on the, the writer's interview here. It's called Tales of Magiel. Yes, silly name. I didn't choose it. And it was on Steam Greenlight. It's been on Steam Greenlight for about a year. And it's finally been accepted uh, this month, and the game's already completed. You know, it's got about a novel's worth of lore that I've written in it. A bit like in the the text that you find in Skyrim, or dotted about this game, and different short stories that build up the whole universe of the game. And yeah, it's it's going to be on Steam next, well, within a month, definitely within a month. And we're hoping to do a sequel to it next year. Sounds fantastic, mate. And finally, Mr. Grub, what have you been up to? Well, in comparison to uh, Drew and Darren's escapades, not a lot, really, apart from the enormous project. We have been making some wine. Oh, tell us more. We've been squashing grapes and making wine. Well, there's not an awful lot to tell (laughs) us. But but what we have managed to do is slightly miscalculate and end up with about 200 bottles worth. Wow. And are these from your own grapes, or...? uh, They are, yeah. They're they're from grapes that was initially planted, no, no, they'll never fruit, they'll never fruit, in order to block out the sunlight a little bit from a glass room, so we'd have somewhere nice and shaded to sit. And unfortunately, it took off like a rocket, and we've had to do something with the the grapes, so we're making wine. 
Okay, well, now I'm really confused because my understanding of where you live, Dan, is that you are living in Yorkshire at the moment. And forgive me, yes. but Yorkshire doesn't strike me as somewhere that you're likely to grow a great vintage. <laughs> <laughs> well, we shall see. We shall, we shall have to see in, in a few months when it's ready. But um, they're, they're growing like wildfire. I don't know why. Um, the, the thing is to plant them outside and then run them under glass as quickly as possible. And I suppose the configuration of our house and the glass room and everything just happened to be right for it. But the, the way we ended up with these vines, they're over 100 years old. And um, they were just sort of dumped on the drive by one of my father's friends. And uh, he called him up and said, what have you given me a black bag full of weeds for? And he said, it's not weeds, it's a grapevine, just tread it in somewhere. And Dad promptly did about seven years ago. And we've been battling with the buggers ever since. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I mean, uh, the late radio uh, resident wine expert would be Mr. Christopher Jarvis. What do you have to say on the matter? Well, no, I was just going to comment on, uh, you know, a few years ago, I wrote an article about English, well, British vineyards. Uh-huh. And the, the the furthest north registered vineyard for the um, you know whoever the food authority people are is actually Lancaster. Really? really? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So they grow grow grapes for wine all the way up there. Excellent. Oh well, that, that, that so no well. no um, vineyards in in Scotland then. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not sure because the information source I used was was specifically to do with British vineyards, which for some reason covers England. Um, but they can't. They, the, I, I could be. This was a few years ago. I wrote this on my. You know, I, we probably get letters if anyone knows more about than I do. But um, yeah, we probably will. There's, there's a distinction between English wine and British wine because English wine is traditionally this thing where grapes are brought in from the continent and pressed here to make wine, whereas British wine is actually wine that's made from grapes grown in the UK. So it's like English football. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I totally agree with you. If I knew anything about sport. <laughs> Okay, for this episode, we have got, in the Development Digest, we've got, well, it's still pretty short on the ground in terms of uh, development news, but that is because Frontier Developments are still working very hard and making sure that Alpha goes out on time in December. But something that will interest quite a few of our listeners, and that is that the, the specs have been released. Before we go any further, that is the specs for the Alpha, not the specs for the final game. But we're going to spend a little time talking about those. And in the DDF, we have the issue of vouchers in-game. So we're going to talk a little bit about that before we move on to Community Corner and our Community Special, which is a fantastic Kickstarter. And then we're going to get some questions from Facebook, uh, an update on Movember, and then a few shout-outs. So let's crack on straight away and go into the Development Digest and that of Spec News. Uh, John, I know you're probably the most excited out of all of us about the specs, so why don't you tell us about it? Well, I don't know why I am the most excited because I don't know much a lot. You know, I've I've only had to learn about you know PC hardware while I've been shopping around for a new PC, which I've now selected and purchased, and I take delivery of it in in two weeks. But I was interested to see you know what kind of gear people have had and and what their reaction were to the Alpha specs, which were quad core CPU which I will probably come back to. At least 2 gig of system RAM. I'm not sure, is that like 2 gig on board or 2 gig free? I don't know, your operating system takes up some gigs. You know, I I just couldn't imagine a machine running Windows 7 with only 2 gig of RAM and then somebody also running uh, a a new game on it. Uh, And also um, a DirectX 10 graphics compatible graphics card, which is also compatible with DirectX 11. And you're looking for 2 gig on board that. So it was interesting to see, you know, there's quite a few people met the requirements. These were obviously the people that were quite into their games and so they did have quite tasty graphics cards. Not everybody had a quad-core CPU, though, uh, which I, I thought was quite interesting, considering that I, I, I thought quad-core had been out for quite a while now, and I thought pretty much everybody was had at least an i5 quad-core. 
I guess. But yeah, they were good specs. They, everybody, I think the general consensus were they weren't too high. If anything, they seemed to be quite accommodating. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly one of the things that uh, Michael Brooks said straight away is that, you know, obviously this is, you know, just for the alpha, there's been absolutely no optimization. And as any PC game manufacturer is going to try and do, they're trying to get this game to run on as, you know, as many systems as they possibly can. And they reckon they'll probably be able to get those specs down a little bit further once they actually start optimizing it, which would be great. Yeah, you were right about the, the system RAM. I was quite interested about that. I mean, I've got 16 gigs in my system, so it's probably not going to make that much of a uh, difference to me. But the one that I've just got rid of that only had four gigabytes of RAM and yeah most of the time I only had about a gig free uh, from the operating system running so that would be something that's quite interesting to have a look at and also that of the graphics card now uh, my graphics card is DirectX 11 but uh, there was a bit of debate on the forum as to what about those graphics cards that only have uh, one gigabyte worth of memory on board and you actually run things faster than that GTX 285 which is the one that Michael quoted there what do you reckon of that John? Well, I'm thinking that, you know, the two gig of RAM, it's not just necessarily to do with speed, although, I, I you know, having more RAM on, on the GPU can probably help. But I don't know, my best guess is if they're using a lot of textures, you know, you want to be able to keep them, uh, you know, on, on the GPU. You don't want to be swapping them out from conventional memory or the hard disk all the time to render frames. So I'm guessing that they're using very large or lots of textures. Hmm. Alan? I was going to say that um, it's possible also that, of course... They've only tested it on the machines that they've got available. So if you've got the configurations and you're trying to, you know, to do everything as quickly as you possibly can, and I think we are seeing that um, with the output that Frontier, are, you know, uh, are giving to the, you know, to the forums and everything else, where that's all sort of dried up a little bit at the moment, we are seeing that they are quite literally all hands to the grindstone trying to, you know, to get ready for the alpha test. So you know, a test on every she- uh, machine that's in the room, you know, getting a, a combat build together because we know the alpha test is going to be a combat build, getting a combat build together, testing it on every machine around the room is a nice quick way of getting a, a load of different system specs and then going, okay, well, you know, what's the lowest one? Right, that's it. Okay, now we'll continue testing and then we'll do the next scenario, blah, 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 blah. So I think we can probably find that um, that actually very different specs will will run the game. And it'd be interesting because, of course, the, you know, the alpha test people will come at it with very different specs as well and of course that will that will test the compatibility won't it yeah definitely and just going back to what you said there about frontier and having you know all their hands to the pump as it were uh, michael brooks commented on the forum today when asked about the next update video he said that you know quite a few of the people that get involved in those update videos are actually needed to make sure the alpha is running which is why we haven't seen an update video although there is one in the the pipeline which is coming out which makes a chill go down your spine uh, soon according to michael Brooks, so uh, maybe we'll have to wait until after the alpha's over before we see it. But uh, Darren, what do you reckon? I think you have to be very careful saying optimizations are to come, so this is kind of like a higher than what the end will be. Because this is the alpha with you know, they've said that it's going to be small scenarios and stuff. That could be exactly why we only need 2 gig of system RAM. That could be why we need such a low CPU speed. Now, I'm sure they will try and keep it running on, on reasonably low systems, but keep in mind that there's a lot more of the game to be added, a lot more complexity to be added, a lot more calculations to be added. So we could easily see those RAM requirements shoot up, the CPU requirements shoot up. As for the yeah. GPU, I'm guessing they're running with uncompressed textures, which is why you need so much video RAM. Either that or it's simply the lowest video card that they had in the office, so they can't really tell us anything better than what it runs on this. We can't tell you any more than that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the only thing, sort of the caveat to that is the fact that, you know, Michael Brooks did say that, you know, for the final game, they're aiming for specs lower than that. But 
you're right, we're only seeing little snippets at the moment for Alpha. And you know, the one thing that everybody has to take on board is the fact that this is indeed an Alpha. So everything's set to change. I mean, you might find out that the, you know, the final specs are completely different. So you know, take all of these with a pinch of salt. Yeah, I just wanted to add, because um, I think Alan and, and Darren basically said it, that uh, you know they're not going to have put too much thought into these specs. I, I think what's happened is Michael Brooks is saying, this is my machine and it works on this. And so when people have been asking questions, he's like saying, look, this is the spec of the test machine. He, he obviously doesn't want to get drawn on it. So I can understand that. And so we shouldn't read too much into the specs. Uh, I, the only reason I picked up, I was a bit speculative, is because he has said um, to people that said, I've only got a one gig graphics card he has said oh well that is a bit low so that makes me think he's giving an informed opinion rather than you know because he has actually said something about it so um and the same with the quad core processor um a lot of people said oh will a dual fast dual core work and he seems to have said no which makes me think he knows something that you know maybe we don't uh what about the high-end graphics cards that have only got one gig did he mention anything about that yeah a lot of people found it quite strange that you know there was a two gig requirement on graphics cards seems as you know even some of the most powerful fast graphics cards still only have one gig on there because it's more about speed than, than texture size I guess. Yeah I think there's going to be one of those uh, suck it and see things. Looking at the uh, a base system to run it I was chatting earlier on on Skype with uh, with Alien from the forum and she had a quick look and you know for a basic replacement motherboard with CPU and RAM you're looking at maybe around about sort of 150 to 180 pounds for something that's going to play the alpha which isn't too bad and then yeah, maybe something like 470 pounds for a, a system with speakers and new monitor and everything Everything else. So at the moment, with those specs, it doesn't look to be uh, yeah, too much of a wallet burner. Well, I think one thing to really remember on that is Michael has emphasized very strongly that the more you have, the better the game will look by far. So I would not go cheap when investing on a new computer. Consider the whole price for performance and consider that every extra bit of money put into your new machine if you're buying a new machine it's going to make this game look better and better yeah absolutely i think it all just depends on how much money you're going to invest in this new kickstarter that some people are running anyway alan uh, spoken like a true geek there darren what i was going to say is that um we also uh, i looked at the specs and um and my um my main computer will run it fine um, it also looks like my dual boot Mac will run it, which uh, is a, a you know obviously a MacBook. One of the things we're going to try and do, and I'm hoping John's going to help me out with this, is that uh, at some point when we get the alpha going, is we'll do a short feature on getting a Mac set up to run Elite Dangerous, and um, obviously in, you know sort of going through the the way in which you set up boot camp and then uh, then install the game and and sort of going through the you know the way in which it, it may perform differently or, or not perform differently on a Mac prior to the Mac release because obviously the Mac release is a little bit further on down the uh, the line. So hopefully that'll um, that'll be good. Then you know more people can can be interested and uh, uh, perhaps get involved in uh, in what's going on. Yeah, I mean we spoke about this before. How big a difference is it to actually have a dedicated Mac program as opposed to just running it in yeah, dual boot? None at all, as far as I can see at the moment. So because boot camp doesn't really affect because boot camp is native and and essentially you're booting straight into Windows. You're not booting into uh, Lion or Mount in line whichever you've you've got as your operating system so you are just going straight into windows and um so that means yeah it, it shouldn't make any difference in terms of performance it just depends on what the hardware is yeah it sounds like it's a little bit more complicated than just sort of uh, booting up a program so i think it'd be great if you could actually do a you know, a bit of a tutorial to cover that i think that'd be fantastic the one thing i would say is that you know again for anyone looking to build a computer wait and hear some of the feedback from other players in the alpha see where the bottlenecks are with the system just how much 
different builds help with the game in certain areas, whether it runs better on Intel versus AMD processors, all that sort of thing. This can make a big difference when you're choosing your hardware. So do look out for some of the advice that will be coming on the forums. Also, big shout out to TJ, who's sending me some extra RAM in the post. It's very nice of him. There are some other people on the forums that have been training components, offering free sort of hand-me-downs, things like that. Uh, a lot of charitable activity on the forums, and uh, that's really good to see. Yeah, another fantastic example of how good the elite community is. Yeah, I can jump in and second that as well. I've been helped out with some hardware support from the forums uh, in terms of advice and, and you know, the handing on. <laughs> the handing I, on of previous hardware. I, I have I have a spare graphics card, but I'm afraid it's only a, a Geoforce 260. I have a, two, a 460 spare, but unfortunately the OpenGL is broken on it, so I'm afraid no one will want it. So if I were to donate those to anybody, then I would probably just make some enemies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody's going to want your, your broken hand-me-downs. Well, let's move on to the one and only DDF topic this week, and that of vouchers. Jarvis, I think you've been looking into this. Yeah, and I think this um, topic seems to be a confirmation of some of the stuff we've discussed previously about how when you've completed an objective, whether or not you actually have to physically carry something back to an inhabited system or a station in order to collect your reward. That seems to be what it's saying. It's quite interesting the, the different way these vouchers work in different contexts. So if you're an explorer and you go out and you complete a map, you have a completed map voucher which you can take back to the core systems and sell. But if you encounter another player and you trade it to that player, instead of them getting the voucher, the voucher disappears, but their onboard computer gets updated with all the maps that you've discovered. And that's quite interesting. The other thing that's quite interesting is that you can complete a mission and then you have a cash-in voucher for completing that mission. But where it involves political stuff and kind of, I guess, plot developments or doing missions for different factions, there's a suggestion here that there'll be different people you can cash in your mission voucher too. And the thing this immediately makes me think of is if you go and do a mission for the Empire and it's to get some spy information on some system, you could take that back to your Imperial employers or you might have an NPC contact who's a Federation officer and they might actually give you more money for the data you acquired on that mission than taking it necessarily back to who hired you to do the job. So there's actually some, there's some suggested permutations in here that I think are quite, that are quite fascinating. What I was going to say is, um, and I, I just wanted to point this out because we have received email about this, that basically the voucher DDF, the word voucher is, is a kind of a concept that covers several, it covers several different things because I don't think that, well, I think they've already said on the forums, they're not going to refer to them as vouchers in the game. They're going to have a more specific name pertaining to what exactly it is that they do. So for instance, with map data, if you're an explorer and you discover a new place, it appears on your map, but then you get a, like, um, I think Alan called it a data chit or whatever originally. You know, you'll get something like that, which you can then trade. But that's not necessarily going to be the, like the same thing exactly as a voucher to do with, you know, a, a political discovery. And they, in the DDF, they, they use the example of realising that there's, there's a genocide has happened, that one faction has killed a lot of the other faction's people. You know, that is interesting information because if it gets revealed, it could prompt a war. Or if it's suppressed, you know, there could be money to be made and things like that so they're not vouchers in the sense that it's just something that can be traded or it's just a like a reward for the player there are a lot there's a lot more to it than that so i wanted to make that clear and in the game they won't be um presented in such a simple way but i i thought they were some of it was very interesting i mean we'd already been discussing things like explorers are discovering new places 
How is it going to work? Can they sell that data? Well, the answer is yes, they can sell the data. But the important thing is they can only sell it to one person. In effect, what happens is you discover it, it appears on your map, and then you get your data discovery chip or whatever. And then you can only sell it to one person. You can't sell it to multiple people. So some people might have had an expectation that you could have done that, but it seems to be the case you can only sell it to one person. How do people feel about that, I guess? Well, I mean, you say you could sell it, but I mean, one thing that we haven't talked about here is whether or not those vouchers are going to be the sort of thing that a pirate can take off you. You know, if you're blown up in space, are those vouchers going to be left to uh, to pirates to be able to, to steal and then cash in themselves? God, I hope not. Sorry, I have to say something because that would just be like um i don't know if anyone's played the rpg dark souls but there's this really annoying thing where you you get killed in you know on a mission and not only does your character die and you drop all of your kit where you die you also drop all of your experience points where you die so effectively you then have to fight your way all the way back to where you were to try and win back the stuff you'd already won with vastly downgraded weapons and abilities that would suck (laughs) <laughs> okay so uh so we're not hoping that uh the vouchers are piratable i just had this vision of like a pirate blowing you up and then like going "Ooh, vouchers <laughs> like you know like club card points or something you know <laughs> or like or like massively disappointed like oh you know the, the, the pirate blows you up and he's like damn it i get charged commission on handing in this booty <laughs> Oh dear darren well i think it depends on the circumstances some stuff like uh bounty missions you think that's not quite right that pirate can come along and steal your bounty when the bounty's all based on who kills who exactly. But I don't think they can because they're not tra- they've, they've specified that the bounties aren't tradable. Okay. So I would assume that that means they're not going to be stealable. But other, pers- other pieces of abstracted information, which is what the vouchers are, they're sort of abstracted certificates for different things. Things like a piece of blackmail information for the empire. You know, someone, might have, someone might have stolen that information from uh, an empire thing and you want to steal it off them to use it for your purposes or, or your faction purposes. And I, I think there's room for something along those lines. But it, it depends on the context within the game, I think. There's some things can work in a stealable way and some things can't. Okay, well, what about this idea? Obviously, it's something that they're going to do later on down the line. But how about if they left it alone for the time being and then in a future expansion where you've got boarding other ships? It's the sort of thing where if you can get to the main you know, the main uh, cockpit, you can actually plug in a data terminal and then try and pull the vouchers off that way or pull the information off that way. Would that sit with you okay, Jarvis? Yeah, hacking for nectar points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Awesome, Foz. You can go and raid the Sainsbury's Anaconda for your nectar points. Yeah, yeah. shut up, Alan. I think you might Deep. have missed the point on this one. But the yeah, orange so- Sidewinder would fit perfectly with that. Yeah, but basically stealing these sort of these certificates or this data information, but only by actually having like an extra level of game where you have to you know, go on board the ship and do it you know, on location. Yeah, it could be interesting. But uh, th- th- there was one interesting thing, and, and we touched upon it when we were talking about political discoveries, which was that if you hold those vouchers, that you get flagged, and so that can feed into the mission and event system. So, in other words, if you have, I'm going to say it's a voucher, but you have basically you have knowledge of a political situation, such as an assassination or a genocide or whatever, you get flagged. So people will chase you because they say, ah, there's the witness. We need to go and kill the witness to whatever it was. Um, so, you know, these things can be worth a lot of money but at the same time they're going to cause you some grief 
mean, I'd say that with these pieces of information that are with different missions and things, what would be very boring is if the only thing you can do to someone with this information is kill them and destroy the information. That this, this voucher or whatever it is going to be called in the game, it better not be called voucher because quite clearly I think it's ridiculous sounding. Uh, but they, they can't just be allowed to die. You can't just be allowed to destroy them. There has to be, for some of them, for interesting things, that's really boring if that's all you can do. So some form of theft uh, or acquisition or whatever else would be very good for the game story and for the role of these in the game. Well, it'd be good if you could build it into the piracy system that when you say, you know, you, if you hold them at gunpoint and they say, look, if I give you this information, you know, tr- trade it in that way. Yeah, yeah, just in the same way as with cargo, that would definitely work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this section of the DDF, it was actually, you know, it's a proposal that's going to be split into two. This is the uh, the first part of the proposal. The second part's coming next week. And that is the idea of actually having vouchers that you can actually buy for, for real world money. Now, again, this will be kicked about... Uh, next week but what do we think about that idea that we we know that frontier developments have always been planning on having some sort of you know real real cash trading system within the game but this is the sort of thing that would actually work well or do you think it's the sort of thing that we need to avoid no i hate it you, you really hate it yeah even though yeah it's always yeah the, the argument is that it's always going to happen in some way shape or form and if they okay. don't do it themselves it's going to go sort of into a yeah a black market and other people will be doing it well, and profiting off it you, you only have to look at what happened with um wasn't it diablo recently you know where it, it really really um caused a problem and uh short-circuited their economy yeah no i i just think don't do it as they are going to do it anyway regardless of what you think do you think this is a sort of mechanic where it's going to work or not work. Dan, what are your thoughts? Well, I think it's absolutely disgraceful that you can be playing games and then spending real money. I either spend real money or work hard or play games. I don't think there should be a crossover. Perfect example is these ridiculous iPhone and I, I, iPad games where, you know, you can sort of sign in and you, you you sign everything automatically just like we all do on our home computers and then suddenly your six-year-old gets hold of it and the following morning you've got a £48,000 bill because they've been playing some silly game with coloured bubbles or something. Uh, I think the whole idea is ridiculous to use real real world money like that I think okay have uh, you know have, have perhaps competitions online and, and keep the keep the forums pecked up with various little little treats and teasers but leave the real money in the real world unfortunately I think yeah. freemiums here to stay for the uh, for the time being but you know candy crush saga I think is uh, the one that everybody points to and says you know how much money have you have you lost to that game and how much time have you lost to that game Darren what's your thoughts I'm against it myself but perhaps not as against it as some we did had we had a discussion on the forum actually there's a thread about you know how can frontier do in-game payments or or sort of monetization of some sort in a way that doesn't annoy everyone and the response from most people is we don't want anything we don't want nothing nothing <laughs> now, we know that's not going to happen we have to be sensible about this so i wish people would talk about this more constructively because it's no good just saying i don't want anything there is some really terrible stuff when it comes to in-game transactions like Dan was saying about all these uh, little kiddie style games with crystals and things. One thing that really alerted me with this proposal is this notion of vouchers. The idea of abstracting payments into some sort of, uh, you know, a- another name for money, essentially, which is a specific monetization trick that games use to make you not realize you're paying money. And this is, you know, there's been a lot of articles written about the psychological tricks that games will play on you to try and make you part with your money. Uh, abstracting it out to something like vouchers or crystals or something like that, uh, that's a specific trick they use. So I'm very disappointed if Frontier are straight away going into these sorts of psychological tricks. 
Yeah, I'm not even sure if that's the case because they're, they're basically they're, they're throwing it straight open to the community and saying, "Look, this is the conversation we want to have with you. You know, we want to in, you know, involve you as to you know, how you think this should work and how you think we definitely shouldn't work." So, from that point of view, they're being upfront, and you know that's why you know the DDF is such a great tool for them to be using. But I mean, would you be happy if they said, "Okay, you know, ten pounds equals ten thousand credits in game credits," or would you rather have it to say, "I know only for vanity items." And those are the sort of uh, you know the two options, either straight up in your face, well, and you can actually buy your way through the game, or you know you can buy things in game that are just pretty to see, but actually don't have an effect on gameplay. Well, like I said, we did have a discussion on the forum, and there was a lot more ideas that came up. Other than, I mean, you got one thing: vanity items. A lot of people don't mind that too much. Another thing is cash for credits, which gets a almost universally negative reaction. Yeah, but there are other things like Guild Wars does a great model, and it does the same thing as, as Elite, where you pay upfront for the game and you don't have to pay any server costs or anything. But it has like a a sort of temporary subscription thing. You know, if you want, you get ten percent uh, experience bonus if you pay this much for a month, and different things like that. And they don't imbalance the game; they don't make you think this person paid to win, this other person didn't. Uh, but they do ensure that cash goes to the right people. And I think there's lots of other options beyond just these two extremes of nothing or just vanity items and all out, everything's for sale, just sell elite status for £10 million if you want to buy it. You know, we don't want that, but you know, we need to find something in the middle. And I hope Frontier can be a bit more inventive. I hope the community can please be a bit more inventive than just no, 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 no all the time. I want to see some more fresh ideas because when you talk about it openly and you think a bit more open-minded, there are other options. Okay. Drew, what's your thoughts on it, mate? I think there's a, definitely, as Darren says, there's a continuum between the absolute yes and the absolute no, because there's a couple of observations I make, is that we, as early backers of the game, many of us have got privileged positions in the game as part of our pledge rewards, so there's already a concept there of having paid money to get a privileged position in the game, which may not be that much. You get a slightly better ship and maybe 10 times as many credits as those standing out. But that's a significant advantage, which you've already effectively paid for. So that precedent has already been set. The other thing, of course, is that um, as we've just been talking about the the specs of the PC, um, some of us will have access to more real-life money, which provisions us with a better PC or a larger monitor or an Oculus Rift, which may furnish us with an advantage in-game. You can't get away from the fact that some people in the real world have more money than other people in the real world. That is an inevitable fact of capitalism. And if I'm taking my imperial hat off for a moment, then you know that is the, the real world in which we live. It may not be fair, but that is the realistic part of the world. And we have to also bear in mind that Frontier, you know, whilst they are very passionate for this game, they are business people. They are making this game ultimately to provide an income stream for their company. And also, they also now have stockholders to uh, manage and provide an income stream for. So there are real business commercial complexities around this, which are bigger issues not necessarily the most important issues, but certainly issues that need to be considered um, when we are looking at the, the revenue streams that the game needs to produce as well as just the purchase price of the installation or download or whatever it happens to be when it finally comes out. It, it's simply not that simple. You can't just say, as Darren's already pointed out, you can't have it or yes, we're going to have it. You, you can't have that um, polar reaction. It's not that black and white. Okay, well, I mean, I don't want to go too off the uh, the beaten uh, path on this one due to the fact that, you know, we will be talking about it when... Uh, we have some more information. But Dan, what's your reaction to what Drew's just said there? 
Well, I, I just want to make it clear that I'm not one of the no, no, no guys, and I understand exactly what Darren's talking about. I mean, in the in the case for the sort of children's games, for example, then I am most definitely a no, no, no guy. But in the case of Elite Dangerous and other games like it, I think I think you have to be very careful that the point that Drew's just made. Obviously, you know, you could you could easily throw a million pounds into your Elite Dangerous account, and and suddenly you would be instantly elite, have the best ship, the best weapons, completely untouchable. You know, I, I think I think there there has to be a middle ground, and. In my view, one of the most obvious middle grounds would be things like real-world purchases outside to gift people or gift yourself, um, uh, weapon upgrades, new ships, etc., etc., for real cash. Wouldn't have any problem with that, you know. It's, uh, I've got no problem with merchandise. But things like that take away from the real feel of the game. For example, what we all love and also becoming terribly frustrated with, with the whole Elite series thus far, is the inability to fast travel. The actual, you know, the, the fact that you have to put in the patience and put in the time to get from place to place. That's a very important part. And I think that teaches people the patience of, you know, of, of gaming in the universe that they're gaming in. And I think if you find people just zipping around the place for cash, that's going to that's gonna detract from the, the wonderfulness of the game. So I think, I think it's a very fine line to tread. But in principle, I've got no problem with merchandise because... You know, we're talking films and audiobooks and fiction and all, all, all the rest of it. Of course, merchandise is a very important part because it's not like Elite Dangerous is coming out as a brand spanking new game. There's almost 30 years worth of, of fans and love out there for it. And, and, you know, the merchandise is out there and selling well already. So I've got no problem with the, the commercial side of it. But I just think they have to be very careful and tread very carefully as to what they'll actually allow people to pay for. OK, before I go to, uh, to John on this, Chris, quick point. Yeah, I think there is a danger as well in in their being able to to pay to shortcut items of the game because it's a little bit like in, in some respects. I mean, you know, I've mentioned this before that in Frontier, if you play with the kind of the easy start position, you have the autopilot, so you don't have the experience of flying manually from place to place. And a little bit like in um, GTA, I know I'm not allowed. I know I'm officially banned from talking about GTA, but in GTA Four, there is this option to kind of get taxis around the place and not actually drive from location to location okay that's for in-game money and not you know not not real money but if there's an option in the game to to pay for stuff to actually remove the need to have gameplay what is the point of that yeah absolutely i mean are we talking about the joy of elite was actually in the grinding i mean surely that can't be the case no, I think I just think the, the the joy in any game has to be has to be the gameplay. Now, grinding is very poor gameplay, and I can <laughs> see why there would be people that would pay to have that element removed. But I think in a lot of instances, you know, it's like if you I don't know if you pay real world money to have a bigger gun than the other guy, then you're just you're always going to win. And there is I know Alan and I agree on this point, and not not all gamers agree with us, but it isn't interesting to win all the time. Completely agree, uh, John. Yeah, sorry, so many things have been said that uh, I've got to talk about them. First of all, I think Drew uh, kind of mirrored what I said before about how, you know, that there's kind of some, like, irrational hatred for people spending money and being able to get into a game, gain some kind of, call it an advantage or whatever, um, because the real world's like that, and so why are people making an exception because it's in the game? To use an example now, I mean, GTA V has now introduced you know you spend real money and you get real money in game and as far as i've 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 seen the gta 5 hasn't imploded uh, people are still playing it you know they haven't all gone off in a huff because some noob came along in a tank and blew them up because ultimately and this is the important thing is if you pay money to effectively skip content it's yourself you're robbing at the end of the day 
you know, if you're not going to work for your ship, you're going to miss out on all of what it took to, to work to that ship. As um, Chris just said then, in a way, um, if it's fun gameplay, if the grind is fun, then ultimately you're missing out by skipping it. Because at the end of the day, if you get shot by a much bigger ship and blown to pieces in, in one shot, okay, ultimately, if that player had earned it by playing the game for six months, or whether they'd, you know, only played it for two months and bought it with cash, it doesn't really make a difference to the consequence. You're still dead. The only thing is, is, is this irrational, emotional feeling that, oh, well, you know, if only he hadn't got real-world money, it wouldn't have been, you know, I wouldn't, he wouldn't have killed me. It's, it's completely bizarre, to be honest. And um, I don't know, I just wish people would get over it, <laughs> ultimately, because I don't think, it's, it's like a lot of the other complaints. You know, the world won't fall in if you do allow it. As long as the game is balanced in such a way that it's still fun for everybody at the end of the day, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you've hit the the nail on the head there in terms of balance because what you were talking about with GTA five and you know, someone coming in and buying a tank, the the problem with uh, with that is the, the grind it takes for you to actually get I think somebody worked out so the, the grind it would take to uh, to actually get a tank doing all the missions and, and earning the money the real way is something like you know, six months. Uh, something really un uh, unfeasible. Uh, unless you're actually going to sink some cash into the game. So, yeah, it's all about the balance and making sure that, yes, you know, it's a level playing field and that if you do a reasonable amount of actual sort of in-game play, you can be rewarded in a decent time, the same as the people that have come in and put a bit of cash into the game. Anyway, let's go to Alan. The I think, you know, I mean, we've kind of gone round on this and um, we have. I think that's, I think that's good because uh, I think Darren's brought a really, really good point to, to what's there and obviously you know it, it's something that you know I, i'm very guilty of the fact that i give a very knee-jerk reaction because of course you base it on your experience don't you and my experience of of this coming into to any game is often where people effectively use this to put themselves in a position of status without by, by, by sort of almost affecting other people's gameplay you know by paying other people to play a game to give them things so that they can be better in that game if you see what I mean you know that kind of uh, uh, you know thing happening and I you know I, I kind of don't you know obviously that experience is, is pretty pretty rubbish so I, I guess the artificiality is is something that that sort of rankles immediately as you as you start thinking about it but then again you're right you know, at the end of the day, what does it matter? It matters the experience that you're having, doesn't it? So, yeah, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess there is a more mature and uh, a more detailed conversation to have on this um, in terms of ways in which this can be done. It's got to be framed the right way, though, because as Darren said, you know, the, the most of the psychology of uh, of game design related to um, ludology and related to you know to, to sort of puzzle design is 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 based on rats in a maze and uh, and rewarding them as they go around corners and perform tricks and do stuff. You kind of want to rise above that, don't you? Find something a bit more um, bit more interesting. Well, as you can see, it's already quite an emotive uh, topic and we haven't actually had any information come out from Frontier about it. In fact, we spent far more time talking about the stuff that we don't have information about than the part of the DDF that we did. Anyway, uh, you can expect a, a full and heated debate in a couple of weeks' time when the other DDF topic is released. Okay, well, that's going to do it for the DDF. Let's go on to Community Corner and, in fact, the... Yeah, the fantastic reason that we've got Drew, Darren and Dan with us here this evening. Dan, why don't I just pass it straight over to you and you can tell us all about it. Right, what we're doing is 
we are releasing a load of elite fiction. This is officially sanctioned elite fiction as well, so it's very, very cool stuff. It's going to have lots and lots of hints and tips for the game players. It's also incredibly cracking fiction, standalone all by itself. What we want to do is we want to release it using professional audio guys, professional actors, and we also want to release some beautiful uh, box sets of the hardback and print copies as well, and we need your help to do it. So we're running a huge kickstarter um just to give you an idea of how the community's grabbed onto this in the first couple of seconds couple, couple of couple of hours of it within three hours of going live it was 10 percent funded already and while we've been on air another thousand pounds has been jumped in dropped into the pot so get on board and get on board quick um the authors are dear alan also drew we've got john harper in new zealand and we've got the anthology uh, headed by chris booker with that darren's story is in as well guys you've obviously you know you ran your own successful kickstarters you know you are completely funded already how does this take your kickstarters to the next level drew we'll start with you mate for me it's um it basically just extends on from where my own kickstarter ended off um you know last year uh, well this year early in january because although i exceeded my original goal which got me the you know the license from frontier to write an official book my initial goals beyond that the stretch goals that i'd sort of set myself were to get to uh, uh, physical print copies, and those were going to be, um, you know, the, the fairly standard paperback sort of thing. Um, and beyond that, I'd never really planned because I didn't really ever expect to get anywhere close to them. Um, and obviously, the whole Kickstarter thing ran its uh, own little story there, as we've all seen. But the the Kickstarter from Dan is really to, you know, from my perspective, give the elite community what they've been asking for in general terms all the way through the year, according to you know the comments I've been getting on my blog. Um, there is a there's still a huge demand although we live in a digital age and ebooks are very very accessible and very very useful there still seems to be a huge huge demand for you know f- for physical books for paperbacks and um, and some people really do want some hardback and special box set editions um, and you know there's still a clamoring for some signed copies as well so it, it's the next stage on and i think combining all of the fantastic book productions all into one kind of production like this um, just adds that you know, bigger sense of credibility and I know that Dan's got a whole bunch of clever bits and pieces planned to make sure those books kind of all line up together um, and come across in a really nice way so it, it's just an extension of what I would have loved to have done initially but um, knew at the time I really didn't think it was possible so it was um, it, it's just taking it on that a little bit further. Fantastic well uh, Dan as someone that's backed uh, Alan's and John Harper's Andrew's and the anthology already what uh, what extra thing is there for for someone like me that's already done all of the yeah the backing of the individual kickstarters initially if you've already booked an elite project in the past then you are counted by us as an elite funding veteran and as such you qualify for our veterans upgrade if you've only booked one of if you've only backed one of the books in the past then what we'll do is we'll give you ebook versions of all four of the books if you come and grab one of our hardbacks or greater pledges now we have had a few people come and say well i've already backed all four i'm already getting all four ebooks what's in it for me well for those veterans we'll also upgrade every one of their ebooks that they've already pledged to get into our shiny new audiobooks and that in itself is quite an upgrade i'm sure you'll agree Alan, as your uh, let's uh, swap hats for you for the moment and uh, put your your lay revolution hat on. Uh, what do you think of all this? 
It's it's interesting. I mean, as people probably know, I've got quite a lot of uh, special editions and, and, and audio funding already attached to my work, particularly, you know, I, I managed to achieve an audio drama goal. And I had already announced that um, I was going to uh, to do that working with Chris, which, you know, I, I intend to do. And uh, and I've, I've produced, you know, quite a lot of music as well associated with, with what's going to be put together with that project. The advantage with this and, you know, and, and one of the things that, um, that has really got me excited about Dan's proposal with uh, with the whole Fantastic Books project is that this puts all four of the books in um, in the publishing fold together, and it ties them together. And Chris gets to work on producing audio for all four of the pieces. So that, to me, that that absolutely makes the project because, and you know, and I'm I'm going to talk about him a bit while he's here now because Chris has produced something pretty incredible for the elite community over the last six months. Escape Velocity is fantastic, and it doesn't matter that you know that I've I've helped him with some of it. That that actually is is you know is a tiny tiny contribution. The stuff Chris has done to put that together is incredible, and I think it really shows just how a how good he is at producing that kind of quality work, and also how much of an appetite there is for elite fiction and elite fiction in an audio form. And what would be lovely to do is to have these official books given the Chris Jarvis touch. From the perspective of us anthology a lot, I mean, before we got signed up by Fantastic Book, we were thinking, well, you know, we're going to have to put up together this e-book ourselves. We're going to have to try and do some print-on-demand stuff ourselves. And that's quite a big challenge. And, you know, being with Fantastic and, and having their support and all that is, is really great. It adds the professional touch. And, you know, it's really great as well that they're so enthusiastic for all the elite fiction. Uh, that makes a big difference to us. But beyond that... If you look at at the amount of fiction that's coming out with Elite Dangerous, uh, there's been some discussion of this in the forum already, but this is you know, quite record-breaking in terms of the amount of dedicated fiction being released alongside a new video game. This is utterly unprecedented. You know, some games have had one or two books before. They're 14? That's crazy. And just these four being released by Fantastic, that's crazy enough. I think this needs to be celebrated. This, this shouldn't just be you know, a few hobbled together ebooks. We need to do something special with this. And this Kickstarter really brings us up to very special stuff. The absolutely amazing escape velocity level quality or, or even higher quality from Chris of, of all these books. That would be so good to hear. Getting hardback books, getting paperback books and collections and special editions. This is all really wonderful stuff that really helps us celebrate this wealth of fiction that we've got coming out with Elite Dangerous. Because this should not just be some normal book release. This should be something amazing, something fantastic. Uh, and it's really great to have something fantastic coming out here. I'd like to reinforce that point and you know, really underline it, to be honest, because I think the, the key thing here across everything is we have been waiting a long time. Um, if you're if you're a veteran of the original elite, um, you know, such as myself, you've been waiting 30 years for that same experience. Even if you're a veteran of Frontier First Encounters and um, Frontier um, yeah, Elite 2, you've been waiting 20 years. You know, that, that is a childhood, that is a, you know, a, a journey from um, birth to adulthood that has gone past in that time. And one thing that very much came to mind when I was running my original Kickstarter was the, the sheer 
passion for the games that was evidenced very, very quickly. And, uh, you know, and I knew I was a big fan of Elite, and I knew there were other people out there who were big fans of Elite. But the, the scale and the passion demonstrated by the, the community out there you know, really blew me away. You know, we've seen all those Kickstarters funded, and I'm sure we'll see this, this new one funded as well, because the community just won't allow any other outcome. But you know, we're, we're all that much older now, and we've brought that passion still with us over yeah over, over those decades we've seen the the passion demonstrated in escape velocity the the sheer quality that's been put together there you know free and gratis effectively by um, by chris we've seen what alan's done with his uh, video rendering and, and the rest of us have all done everything i think we can to get behind uh, frontier to make sure elite dangerous is is a big success and is is, is is as good as we can possibly make it to be. And I think Frontier is very, very fortunate to have such a, a fan base behind them. But at this point in the process, my only wish is for us to make this, this year, 2013 and going into 2014, the very best experience that we, we can possibly make it to be. And if I can push that along the road with my fellow fans to make this event uh, as big and as wide and as fun and enjoyable and you know just produce sheer quality of output whether it's a physical thing or whether it's a video whether it's an audio book i want to make it the best it can possibly be because this opportunity is never ever going to come again we 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 can't do this again elite is back you know we'd have to wait another 30 years some of us will be dead (laughs) (laughs) yeah let's hope we don't have to wait another 30 years for it um yeah it's that sheer this is happening now let's not miss this chance um i've 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 quoted it a couple of times in my blog you know i don't want to miss my signing the beatles moment Um, if this is it then i'm going to go absolutely hell for leather and just do everything i can possibly think of to do to make it the best it can possibly be and and that is it i suppose no pressure on you then dan what have you got in store to make 2014 the most amazing experience for the elite community Yes, indeed. It sounds like pressure, pressure, but really it's a pleasure. I couldn't agree more with Drew. This is happening now. It's going to happen into next year and obviously up toward the 30th anniversary, which is around September time. And there's just so many things aligning for this thing to be a success. And I'm not just talking about our Kickstarter here. When David Braben first released the uh, the first Elite game, 1984, right? Uh, he released it with uh, Robert Holtstock's novel, The Dark Wheel. By doing so, he made history. It was the first game ever to be released with um, official fiction attached to it. Now, we've come a long way in 30 years, and with professional editing and the ebook revolution and the audiobook revolution and everything else, um, this is going to be absolutely, for want of a better word, fantastic. And we are going to make history. Not only is this game going to come out with more official fiction attached to it um, than there's ever been for any game ever, but we're going to throw it all out at the same time. I think we're the only company thus far, although don't quote me on this at this stage, to be releasing audiobooks at the same time as the E and print books. Um, There's a reason for that I'll go into later, if you like. Um, and, And we are genuinely making history. And Drew's completely right. This isn't going to happen again. Now is the time. And that's precisely why I've pointed so much of my resources at this. And uh, I know the elite community is going to get behind us because they already are behind us. And I've been privileged enough to be sort of dragged in to their ranks and just taken in like family. It's, it's a really, really wonderful community. And I, I couldn't be happier to be involved in this project. Now, with Drew talking about the fact that this could be his, you know, signing the Beatles moment, it could be the same for us. I mean, we're only a small publisher. Now, we currently hold four pieces of official elite fiction. 
The UK's largest science fiction publisher, that's Gallant, only holds three. And of the remaining fiction, I'm not sure if there's any, any companies kind of grouping together amongst them. But at the moment, I, th- I think we're, we're heading the field. And also, we didn't go and buy these writer packs and hunt down the authors to write books in the placeholders, if you like. Genuine, passionate fans like Drew, like Alan, like the rest of you guys, have written these books because you wanted to. You are genuinely passionate about the universe. And that's, that's why I think that our elite books are going to be something special. And I think we are creating the yardstick. Yeah, I think it's I think it's an awesome proposition simply because if you think about it, it just takes one major success in terms of fiction, whether it be one writer's book, you know, hit the bestsellers or say further down the line, there's, um, you know, a major film made out of elite or I don't know, animated series, something crazy like that. You know, as soon as you get a mass of people drawn to something, remember, all of these books are canon. So, of course, they become required reading then. So I, I think as a business proposition, it's awesome. But I would just like to point out, remember, that the reason there is a market for these audiobooks is because of Drew Wager's amazing reading at LaveCon. Because if you think about it, <laughs> there's so many people on the forums have said, oh, I heard Drew read the book and I, yeah, I so want it. And, and I think there's a massive market simply because of that, because there's somebody who's passionate, who writes something that they're passionate about and then they read it with the same passion and a lot of people can get behind that. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Okay, so I've got an announcement about the spine art that a lot of you have been asking about on the forums and stuff. Uh, We do have confirmation from Frontier that we'll be allowed to use the Cobra Mark III. So there will be an image of the Cobra Mark III that will wrap around all four spines on the box set. So that's pretty exciting news. Another announcement about the audiobooks we have been given confirmation that that they're currently putting together a sound library from in-game sounds. And therefore, we'll be able to, when when you're reading about a battle in a book, it's going to sound exactly like the battle in the game. So that's pretty exciting stuff, things like engine noises, weapons, doors opening and closing, etc. Any sounds that come in the game have been put into a sound library that we already have permission to use for our audiobooks. So how how awesome is that? Uh, That's going to be absolutely brilliant. So are these books going to be just a standard sort of a a reading or are you going for full dramatisations or somewhere in between? Somewhere in between. We obviously want to go full immersion. So um, as far as atmospheric music and things, uh, our very own Alan Stroud is producing lots and lots and lots of music for us. So we'll be pulling on that library and using it as atmospheric background stuff for within the books. Obviously, the sound effects are going to bring them alive as well. And they'll be very basically uh, loosely based on on an unabridged read. But of course, there's always sound edits to do throughout. I mean, anyone who's ever worked with stuff that's called an unabridged book, you cannot follow them word for word, cover to cover with the, with the, uh, with the print version. It's just the way it is. So they're going to be somewhere in the middle. They're going to be closer to unabridged straight reads than others. However, Alan Stroud's is going to be a full drama production, which I'm sure he can tell you more about himself. Yeah, no, actually, um, I, think, I think the key thing here is that because of the nature of the way in which you know my, my work is and everything else. Labor Revolution is written as quite a, a fairly cinematic piece of, uh, of fiction, and it, it sort of lends itself to, to sort of fast-paced, high-action sort of elements in uh, in different ways as, as part of it. So it was always going to be a natural choice to go for quite a dramatic adaptation when we were looking at it as an audio drama piece. And of course, with the fact that I obviously was was already collaborating with Chris, it was a no-brainer to get Chris in and to uh, to give him early drafts so he can probably tell you what he thinks. 
Yeah, totally. And, and what I'm sort of, you know, trying to work out, because I'm, I'm sort of at the stage of thinking about practicalities for these audio pieces. And obviously with Lave Revolution being a full audio drama, it's much less easy to anticipate how long it needs to be. So I'm sort of trying to get a feel for the book and get a feel for sort of the amount of content that happens in, in each scene and, and working out kind of at what point in the story is kind of, you know, episode one. And also, really, I mean, I was chatting with Dan the other day, thinking about it, and I, mean, I tend to think of audio dramas in an, in an episodic format. And I think that, you know, from my point of view coming to this, it's something that's going to be much more satisfying in an episodic format rather than trying to produce, say, a feature-length audio. I don't think, from my experience as a listener, I don't think feature-length audio works as well. But something that's broken up in the same way that books are broken up into chapters is very engaging and kind of keeps you hooked in sort of from episode to episode. But there's a, there's a question there over format. I mean, Escape Velocity is half an hour episodes, but there's no reason why Lave Revolution can't be a different format. They could be hour-long episodes, you know, they could be 45-minute episodes, kind of like in a, you know, an American TV-style format. So that's what I'm kind of trying to get a feel for. And it's it's difficult because, as Alan says, his stuff is very cinematic. And actually, Lave Revolution, there's an awful lot that happens very quickly. So my, my concern from a practical point of view is that it's going to be lots of episodes. Um, but at the moment, I'm still figuring all that out. Okay, so before we finish this topic off, Dan, what about the uh, some of the pledge rewards that you've got for this particular campaign? Maybe you can elaborate a bit on you know, what some of these special editions might be looking like. Okay, well, I can't elaborate on what they'll be looking like, apart from the wonderful news about the spines, of course. But uh, as far as the amount of pledges are concerned, there are many, and there will be many more over the coming days. So do keep an eye on the pledge list. Uh, there's everything there. Um, very rarely for a Kickstarter, we're actually giving away um, a decent reward for the single pound pledge. Although, obviously, we'd rather you drop a thousand pounds into the pot. But if it's a pound you're doing, then you will get a random story from the Tales from the Frontier anthology. Um, as many of you know from supporting previous Kickstarters, usually the pound pledge is a thanks very much, we appreciate it. But we thought, just for this one, be a little bit different and uh, and throw a story at folks. All the way up to the top tiers, there's some incredibly exclusive stuff just for supporters of this Kickstarter. It won't be produced again. We're not going to go into the factory thing and, hey guys, remember three years ago when we ran that Kickstarter? Well, we've made another 300. No, these are exclusive just to this Kickstarter. And everything in the middle. If you want paperbacks, if you want hardbacks, if you want signed versions of each, if you want a hard copy audiobook, remember them? You know, we're, we're, we're creating them. We're going to be sending round inserts all around the world to be signed by all the authors. So, so you can get signed versions of absolutely everything. And if you're really, really special and want to come in at the Elite Deadly Pledge, then you will also get the flight suit that I've been wearing during all my updates. But I will wash it, I promise. <laughs> okay, and before we round this off, how long is the Kickstarter running? Uh, it's running until the 1st of January. Pretty dangerous time to run a Kickstarter, I realise. But like I said earlier, we want to release all the various formats at the same time. So in order to have time to do that, uh, we need to run it before Christmas. So it's going to run all the way through till the 1st of January. And then onwards, Commanders. If you know anyone, anyone at all who might be interested, get the word out to them, especially philanthropic millionaires with a penchant for audiobooks. Great stuff. I'm sure the elite community will get behind it and make sure it's a complete success. Okay, so leaving that particular part of Community Corner to one side, uh, seems quite funny to go on to the, the general writers section, considering how many writers we actually have on the show tonight. But apart from the fantastic Kickstarter, uh, what else has been going on in the writers forum, guys? Uh, let's throw it to... 
Drew? Well, my uh, quest for a star map has yet to come to naught. Um, <laughs> I've tried, I've tried, I've tried bullying, cajoling, blackmail, um, and, and and still no success. To, to be fair, Michael has indicated that they are they're working on it and they've got a massive task on their hands in, it, in order to do that. They, they, as we know, they're doing a, a realistic galaxy with all the visible stars in the correct places, and they're also um, doing um, all the exoplanets. For those of you who are not familiar with with that phrase, um, who aren't astronomers, you know, exoplanets are effectively planets around other solar systems that we have currently detected from the Earth using. 20, 21st century technology and they want to map those realistically as well um, and there are over a thousand of those so they've got a lot of overrides to put into their procedurally generated galaxy uh, and clearly that's been somewhat more of an ask than they originally anticipated it would be because that uh, star map is now somewhat overdue um, this is um, a bit of a frustration I think for the authors because an awful lot of us now got um, I think the kind of narrative structure of the books, the themes, the characters, the events all kind of pegged out quite nicely. But what we have got, certainly in my story, and I'm sure, and, and I've spoken to Alan about this, is that we've got kind of insert bracket um, planet A on system B with city X, and then we move to system Y with planet one, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we can't we can't fill any of this stuff in. We're kind of we're kind of on hold. So um, yeah, we we do need this star map because we can't submit our proofs to Frontier for approval. Um, and obviously, time is beginning to tick away. We're now at the end of November, so I, I think a slight measure of nervousness from me because I've got something like a, over a hundred comments in my script where it says insert detail here. And even if the star map is something that when I get it, I can just quickly fill those in. Um, I'm a little bit worried that some of the distances between the planets in my story that I've assumed based on the information to hand may not be realistic, which may require some redrafting. So a little bit of a little bit of concern there, I think, over the star map. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, it's it's the case for, for a few of us in that, um, you know, I've got journeys and you kind of look through these journeys and you've plotted them through according to the information that you have and you're hoping that those systems are still going to exist or that there's going to be something there in between that's going to allow that journey to work within the time that you've set it out to work in. So, yeah, it is tricky. Um, the other stuff we had a discussion on was time distances on in-system travel because uh, Chris uh, Kipper on the forums who uh, helps with the Tales book brought some stuff up about that and that uh, sparked a quite an interesting sort of uh, bit of discussion. I think also um, the other stuff that we don't have, we've seen tantalising clues of, but we're not... We, we haven't got all the detail yet, is, is, is some of the ship information and some of the weapon information in particular. Uh, I know that uh, a few episodes back we had that little uh, uh, fun and games around the amazing plasma accelerator that wasn't a plasma accelerator that might have been a laser beam until we decided that the physics didn't work. But we haven't got that detail yet. We don't know what the loadout of the ships is going to be. We don't know how fast a Sidewinder is compared to a Cobra. We don't know how, you know, what weapons loadout an Anaconda can carry. We don't know the capabilities of the frame shift drive. All of that stuff we're going to have to insert into our stories to make them absolutely blended into the elite universe we don't have that information yet so there is going to be a fairly chunky piece of editing um to do in there in order to get that to to really feel right i think a lot of us really want to play the game for that it's it's not just having the details it's actually playing it it's gonna it's gonna really change how we feel about the writing of it yeah especially with the you know flying ships and 
having dogfights in them. I think that's like going to be a major problem. Because I mean, if you've played Frontier, I, I I don't think that the the combat was as romantic as some of the writers make out. But you know, if they're talking about going back to the elite combat system, maybe it will be. Yeah, absolutely. But we'll have more of an idea of that when we go to the alpha. Obviously, the initial alpha is going to just be a dogfighting with uh, with NPCs. So, yeah, hopefully that'll give you guys some you know feel of what it's like to actually be in, in combat with that cockpit. Darren, what about the anthology um, subforum? Anything been going on in there? Well, we've been corralling uh, people together, making sure that everyone's drafts are ready for submission to Fantastic. We've got a number of drafts over to them already, but a few of them are still undergoing a bit of internal editing to get some of the low-hanging fruit before it's pass to their more professional editors uh also a lot of work around the the podcast planning a few different episodes of that keep your eye out for more comms from the frontier episodes uh, and preparing some stuff for the kickstarter trying to get appropriate content to see what we can do to help out and so on plus a really big feeling of elation on the anthology forum i think we're all pretty happy that this has come together after most of the years of work i don't think we ever expected to be in this position right now where we're looking at these amazing audiobooks and everything coming out and and just getting a book together and writing in the elite universe so it's been a, a big positive feeling in the anthology forum and that's that's great to see okay well let's leave the writers forum there for a second and move on to facebook questions there's yeah, not a lot out there at the moment because, again, there isn't a lot of information coming out of Frontier Developments. But uh, just want to quickly pick up on comes in from uh, Luke Chalice. And he says, guys, uh, have we heard anything about whether or not Elite Dangerous is going to be distributed over Steam? Now, uh, initially, my thought was, no, we haven't heard anything about what distribution method they're going to go with. Um, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Have we heard anything about Steam? Frontier did a report recently. It's their report to their, their the stock. stuff. Yeah. yeah, that stuff. And they specifically said in that that they had the license to to develop their own online sales platform. That they'll, they they seem to insinuate they'd be working with Amazon on this. Really? Uh, there's a lot of other information in that thread. Yeah. This, now none of it is specifically confirmed. None of this is like proper press release stuff. This is kind of uh, that their IPO report. They, details some of the things they're planning a lot of it's probably long-term stuff but there definitely was in there their own game distribution platform specifically mentioned they are linking with atari to distribute atari games there's something bigger here than just their own games i think didn't atari go bust last year (laughs) uh they've been bust and come back a few times they keep atari is just a brand name that gets bought up by different companies okay somebody else has bought the brand okay yeah it's happened a lot Atari doesn't mean anything anymore, does it? It's like, cool. Um, okay, so have we have we have we come with an answer to that? Are we going to? I'm not sure if we answered the question. Um, I think they can release on their own. Okay. If all of a sudden they think that not being on Steam is a barrier, then they they can consider it at the time, I guess. Can I can I just suggest that we we do mention one thing going back? Dan did make a very good point about Michael Brooks, because Michael has actually backed pretty much every project that he he's seen. And I think it is worth saying just how supportive Michael has been by uh, effectively leading from the front as much as he can. And I think it's it's kind of a bit unsung, really, a lot of the time, because, you know, we all want more information from Michael and we all want more stuff from Michael. And Michael works most weekends on top of, you know, his day job as well to try and satisfy those requests as much as he can. But he is just one pair of hands with one tiny little mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Harsh. That came out wrong. 
I was going to say that might and end you, up on the editing room floor. You thought you thought I was just going to put that straight down, didn't you? You thought I was just going to put that straight, but no, I decided no. Okay, no, he is. You know, Michael is Michael has worked his socks off, and he is. You know, he is working incredibly hard to put this game together, and you know, he has to have a hand in so much of the development. Uh, you know, so I, I think the fact that he's got enough time to pay attention to everything that's going on and to back the Kickstarters as well and show his support. You know, he's, he's, he doesn't have to do that. You know, he's, he's obviously, he's as passionate about this game and we knew that from LaveCon. He's passionate about this game as, as all the rest of us. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. And, uh, that also takes us on quite nicely to the next topic in the community, and that of Movember, something that we know Michael Brooks couldn't have been more supportive of if he tried, having, having sacrificed his own facial beard, his iconic beard for the uh, for the cause. Uh, I can say that Team Moba is doing exceptionally well. Last time we checked, let's just have a quick look. Yeah, the team has actually surpassed uh, £3,250, uh, which I think we can all agree is a, yeah, an amazing result. Uh, some of the high flyers, I suppose we, as he's on the show, we might as well shout him out. So Mr. Wagar, would you like to say how much you've just managed to pull in today? Um, I've gone from £440 at the beginning of the day to £601.04 at the That's end, so pretty pleased with that. That's a fantastic result, mate. Really well done. Uh, and in fact, yeah, just checking the website now, £3,403, which is a phenomenal amount of money. And again, just highlights how fantastic this elite community are. Um, something that's not quite so fantastic, but funny nonetheless, for those people that haven't caught it, the uh, the MOBA team did do a Movember song. They did a parody of Leaving on a Jet Plane changed the lyrics and called it leaving on a space plane and a lovely little ditty to uh, to uh, to david braben if you want to catch that just go over to is.gd forward slash space plane so it is good so is.gd forward slash space plane and that is the leaving on a space plane movember song that's been done by the community and i suppose as he's on the uh, on the call as well we might as well shout out darren darren gray for your work with elite meat uh, from earlier on in the month uh, we actually have a video up online of uh, myself and John trying out the Oculus Rift for the first time. Yes, I'm sure you've all seen those wonderful uh, videos of people putting the Oculus Rift on and doing some wonderful Stevie Wonder impressions and uh, giving a bit of a making themselves look a little bit foolish. So uh, John and I step into that role quite nicely. And if you want to see that, that's at is.gd forward slash laveor, laveor for Oculus Rift, which just leads us on to the shout-out to this episode. And of course, as they're on the show, we might as well give Darren and the Anthology guys a shout-out for Comms from the Frontier, fantastic podcast that they've got going there. Thank you, you're not going to bad one yourself. <laughs> When's the next episode out, Darren? Next episode, we're going to be talking with Dan, who is also on here, uh, about the fantastic campaign, about what it means for the Anthology in particular. And ooh, expect that in about a week. Great stuff. Chris, I believe you wanted to shout out uh, Fragland. Yeah, just a shout out for the guys at fragland.com. Uh, very friendly bunch of gamers. There's some, you know, there's some keen love for Elite in there as well. So, uh, yeah, thanks, guys, for a great weekend. Okay, and iTunes reviews this week. We've got one from Tap Out UK. Thank you very much indeed. And Tom Sloman, who uh, gave us a written review for Lave Radio and also for Escape Velocity. Thanks very much for taking the time to do that. And that's going to do it for this show, guys. If you want to contact the show, you can at info at laveradio.com, on Twitter at laveradio, on Facebook uh, forward slash laveradio. And if you'd like to call us on Skype and leave us a voice message, you can at lave.radio. If you'd like to take part in RetroLave or the Conclave, you can do so by contacting me, Fozza101, on Skype. Uh, special thanks to Darren, Drew and Dan for coming on the show this evening. And of course to Chris, Alan and John. That's going to do it for this episode. We're going to pack up the Orange Sidewinder and see you next time.
Two seconds, I'll be right back. Whoa! Driving! Ah! Is that an elephant's keyboard? That's that's crazy. That's, elephants that's, can't type that fast. That's, that's how we roll. Apparently, that's how live radio is organised because that's Fozza typing. <laughs> the giant thumbs. As well. Oh, I mean, Fozzer can type, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, well, he's not gaming on my keyboard. That's for damn sure. <laughs> uh, uh, the, fr- the funny thing is he's still not saying anything, so actually, he's not got his headphones on. So he's not hearing any of this. This is all being recorded. <laughs> Hi, guys. Looking at Mike, he says. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Mike? Who's Mike? Who's... <laughs> pouring salt on everything. <laughs> eating crisps. <laughs> See, at least whatever I'm doing, you can't hear it. That, that, that's a very worrying point. <laughs> let's, just leave, let's, just, let's leave that one hanging in the air. Okay, <laughs> okay uh, Mr. Jarvis, what have you been up to, sir? Shit, I'm eating again, try. Um... <laughs> <laughs> It's like Leif Carl over, all over, over again. again. <clears throat> Boy, those yogurt-covered bananas take a while to put away, don't they? <clears throat> <laughs> That's a lot of chewing for a very small snack. Okay, uh, so what was the question? Uh, what have you been doing other than eating chocolate-covered bananas? Yogurt-covered bananas. <laughs> it's an important distinction. <laughs> <laughs> Darlin, to be fair, i got to say... Um, I'm a big fan of that second update video where you come to and you got all the junk on ah, you. Okay. <laughs> because I thought the only thing to make that scene complete was you to say something like, from hell's heart I stab at thee or something like that. <laughs> and elite fiction in an audio form. And what would be lovely to do is to have these official books given the Chris Jarvis touch in not a dodgy way. <laughs> I think it's the association with my name that's always going to be dodgy 
Don't worry, it'll come out in the edit. It'll okay. Be fine. Where was your Where was your thought gonna go? Just, and I'll cut it just, out. Don't just worry. say how much you love Chris and, and how much you how I much love, you like his touch. That would be fine. Love <laughs> I like to hear your voice in my ear. <laughs> um, um. I'm so glad I'm a part of this. <laughs> <laughs> Have some more shots of bananas for you later. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I completely forgot to make it. That was the problem, Chris. I completely forgot to make it in my last impassioned speech. So if, if you'll forgive me, I'll, I'll make it now. Uh, I have an official announcement to make. <laughs> do you want to do it in not that voice? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was talking about the whole schizophrenia thing earlier, Jeff. <laughs> this is Commander Dan, and I have, I have an announcement. I'll try that uh, you might as well just go the whole hog and just do that. I have a dream speech, Dan. Just do that instead. <laughs> yeah, are you this local this recording? Whole, whole call's breaking up horribly for me. Yeah, me too. Somebody doing... Who's hosting it? John? Yeah, it's me. You haven't got anything going, have you? Uh, uh, I'm just watching some porn, but I got, I got <laughs> Infinity, so it should be okay. Right, okay. <laughs>